0: now for several weeks and we're going to be continuing in our God's Big 10 series and I just need you guys everyone take a quick pause breathe in real deep breathe out okay after last week I know we talked about some pretty tough stuff and those are that's a that's a hard sermon to preach about but church I'm going to ask that you bear with your preacher because it's not getting any easier this week, <laughs> okay? I need everyone just to just to hold on tight and, I, and, and and I know what some of you might be thinking. man, this preacher's coming in here, and he's really hitting us hard with this stuff, but listen to me, this is not my sayings. This is straight from the Word of God. These are God's Ten Commandments. these are his big ten and his roadmap to how we should live if we want to become people of godly character. So don't think that the preacher's getting up here because he heard about some stuff and he should thought that it would be a good idea to talk about this. It's not what I'm doing. Remember, we started out right after New Year's, and this was our New Year's resolution. I know, come February... At the end of February, I'm not sure how many of you are guilty of this, I know I am, end of February is typically when our New Year's resolutions start going away, right? We start giving up and things like that, but on this one, I'm not going to give up on it. We're going to continue being people of godly character, yes, church? Amen. All right, we're going to continue doing that, and guess what that means? It means we've got to have the hard conversations, And so today, just like last week, we're going to be talking about some pretty tough stuff. So I need everyone to hold on to your seats really fast, because what we're going to start off talking about this morning is we're going to start talking about sexuality. I need everyone to take a big, deep, (gasps) the preacher said a bad word. (sighs) No, I didn't. I didn't say a bad word, but it, it is tough to talk about because church, listen to me. Whether we accept it or not, we live in a time where sexuality and the open expression of it are running rampant, right? Whether we like it or not, sexuality runs our world. I don't want to say our culture, because if you read the statistics and you read about it right now, sexuality is running our world. And listen to me when I say this, no one is trying to stop it. It's everywhere, Everywhere you look, sex is there. And I know some of you are in here th- cringing right now because a preacher's talking about sex. It's a, it's a conversation you don't talk about, preacher. Why, Why is he doing this sex? Oh, no. Listen to me. If we want to fix the problem, guess what we have to do? We've got to talk about it. All right, and the best way to talk about it is to go to the Word of God because sex is found everywhere. It's on our televisions, right? Every channel you flip to, every streaming service you go to, Amazon, Hulu, Disney+, Netflix, everywhere you go, you look up kids' uh, uh, cartoons. Oh, my goodness, the innuendos that are in children's cartoons. Church, my goodness, we have to edit my child's stuff all the time because I'll hear a statement. I'm like, well, there goes that cartoon, and she'll just stare at me like, but why, Daddy? I'm like, I will tell you when you're older. (laughs) She is only five. (laughs) But you got to have those hard conversations, and it's everywhere. It's on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, everywhere you flip or turn or click on, there is sex screaming in your face, and it's all over, uh, all over the internet. Oh my goodness, church, the internet. If you want to protect your children, monitor what they're looking at on the internet, because it is free and it is easy to get to. Parents, monitor what your children are looking at on the internet, please. I'm not trying to teach you how to be parents, but that is one thing that I will say, is monitor what your children are looking at on the internet. Spouses, which is what the conversation today is going to be about you shall not commit adultery, the internet will kill you, and the internet will kill your marriage. And I'm not wrong. I don't like to be arrogant or boastful, but I know I'm not wrong there. Anywho, sex is found everywhere, right? Magazines, commercials, billboards is everywhere. And if you name it, right, if you pinpoint something, if you look at it, sex sells it. It doesn't matter what it is, sex sells it. I still laugh about the M&M commercials. We all know the little green M&M, right? I know there's other newer modern ways illustrations, but this is the one that just cracks me up, always has cracked me up, and I will always talk about it because it's hilarious. Who here does not like M&M's? Raise your hand if you do not like M&M's. Exactly. Everybody loves M&M's, right? And in my personal opinion, I don't even think there needs to be a commercial about M&M's because everyone's going to buy them. Everyone's going to eat them because they are delicious. It doesn't matter what type of M&M, it is delicious. If you want to make your preacher happy, buy him some M&M's. I prefer the peanut M&M's. But anywho, what cracks me up about the M&M's is they sexualized an M&M. The little green one. I'm like, guys, do you have to sexualize everything, including candy? I mean, candy sells itself. Who here doesn't like sweets? But guess what, church? The culture we live in, sex sells it. You you wanna sell something, throw sex into it, and guess what's gonna happen? It's gonna sell. And it's what people want, right? I mean, people want it. People love it. And sadly, no one's standing up against it. Why? I mean, we don't talk about it. And when the preacher starts talking about sex, guess how quiet it gets in the sanctuary. Guess what, church? I got about thirty to forty-five minutes of nothing but this conversation, so you better hold on tight. I, I am still in the introduction. If you're uncomfortable, if you're uncomfortable now, just wait till I get to the points. All right? But sex sells it. everything. Sex everywhere. I, I I've come to the conclusion that if, that if somehow, um, in the far far future, our, uh, we're no longer here and researchers come back and say we need to dig up this ancient society, they were great. They came up with some of the most amazing technology. Be- we are here because of them, and they start digging it up. I swear. Swear, or I truly believe that they will dig it up. Be like, how did they come up with all this technology and stuff? Because it seems like all they cared about was sex. (laughs) And and, and future societies will look us up and and dig us up and be like, this was a sex crazy society. How did they get anything else done? But I want to tell you something this morning, and we can. I can use illustrations. We can laugh and things. It's funny. But the reality is, and I need you to hear me this morning, God has not, has not put his stamp of approval on this. It's not okay. Did you hear me this morning, church? It's not okay. Sex outside the confines of marriage is not okay at all. And the way that we just casually go about it is not okay. God is not okay with it. And I know, and I know what you know, some people may think. Me, me and Ashley were actually talking about this yesterday. We, we, we got, on, we got on, on Facebook. We saw somebody post something. And, and one of the things they said is, oh, it's 2020. Everybody needs to come to the times. And we hear that all the time, and it annoys me. Because there are certain things that don't change just because the date changes, church. This being one of them. Well, we can change the, 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 the method of the way we go about it, but you ever change the message, guess what's gonna happen? Oh my goodness, church, we're gonna get in trouble. And and sex outside the, outside the protection of marriage, guess what God calls that? Sin. And I know it's counterculture me preaching about this, but as you guys have probably figured out throughout this series, I don't care. I'm gonna preach the truth, regardless of what the culture people say about it. The way we casually go about sex and just, meh, however you wanna go about it, whatever, listen, it's not okay. In 16, I think it's 1631, the Archbishop of Canterbury He authorized another printing of the King James Bible, and it had been in the hands of people for for many, many months when somebody finally noticed that a word had been omitted from the commandment. And this is the way the commandment read in this Bible, okay? It says, You shall commit adultery. It was, it was in 1631, and, and it, was, it, was, it was titled The Wicked Bible from there on after, all right? So you can actually get on Google, type in The Wicked Bible, and you can read the story. It had been in print for months before finally somebody came across the Ten Commandments, and it said, you shall commit adultery. Now, if I'm not mistaken here, uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure if that was printed today, our culture would be like, yes. They're like, yeah, the church is coming to the times, right? I mean, our, our culture would probably welcome the wicked Bible with open arms and say, this was perfectly fine. We like that. The church is finally getting it. It's not okay at all. Thank goodness that's no longer in production because the verse says you shall not commit adultery. And it's pretty cut and dry, right? Right? I could get up here and say, Jesus loves you, don't commit adultery, let's go to lunch, right? But I think what we need to do is we need to dig deep into this verse. I think we need to see uh, three things, the desire behind the command, the reason beneath the command, and the message beyond the command. There's a lot of things going on in this very short verse, you shall not commit adultery. And so let's study together what is actually being said here. So number one is behind the command is God's desire to keep marriage sacred, If you are married in here, I need you to pay attention this morning. God's desire is to keep marriage sacred. From the very beginning of creation, it was God's desire that one man and one woman be committed and united to each other for a lifetime. Committed to each other for a lifetime. In the book of Genesis, chapter two, it says, "For this cause, a man shall leave his mother and at least shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." That was God's design, Church. It's the way He created us. It's the way He designed it. When He gave us His plan of how we should live, one man, one woman in marriage for a lifetime. You leave your families. You leave your mother and your father. You cling to your spouse you become one flesh. You become one together. And nothing should step in between there. Nothing. You see, when you get married, two things happen. You take an oath and you take a vow. Let's look at the oath, if you will. Based upon the oath and the vow, God allows you, listen, He allows you a relationship that is so intense and so personal that you become one with another. That's, that was the purpose. As God said, You're going to take these vows, you're going to take this oath, and you're going to become one together. It's going to be intense, it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be the foundation of society. And the oath went something like this, right? I mean, I know a lot of pastors, we've re- we have rewritten this, and we've done things, but the traditional one says uh, something like this, so-and-so, do you willingly come to this day to receive so-and-so as your wife, to make a home where she will be loved and cared for as long as God grants her life? And what do you say? I do, right? And we've changed that, but you took an oath before God, you're standing before God, an oath that you give to God. You said, I will do this for her. I will do this for him forever and always. I'll never leave them. I'll never do anything bad to them. And you're giving that oath to God. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but God takes his word pretty seriously. He takes his promises very seriously. So when we make a promise to God, when we take an oath to God, guess what he expects us to do? He expects you to keep it. He expects you to honor it. And so when you stood before God, the preacher in the congregation, and you said, I do, I take that oath, I will care for her, I will love him. You said it, God says you better keep it. And then you took the vow, right? And the vow was something similar to this, I so and so take so and so to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. And this is, one of my, this is one of my favorite lines out of this. When, when, I, when, I do, when I do weddings, I love this line right here. For better and for worse. Mm. Those of you who are married, remember that you said that, by the way. For better and for worse. And there was a movie, and I, th- I think it was Jim Carrey who said it, uh, him, and his, him and his, I think it was his wife or somebody was in a fight, and he says, well, this is worse. <sighs> Moving on. It says, for better and for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. That's a lifetime, church. Mm. As God, and this is typically what we say, right? As God is my witness, I give you my promise. As God is my witness, I give you my promise, is what we said to our spouses. It's a vow that we took. The vow you make to your life's partner and you're using God as the surety or the guarantee that you will keep your vow. You're making a promise to your spouse. You promised them. You said, you're it. No one will come between us. I guarantee you it's so much that I'm gonna make a promise to God about it. Nothing will come between us. I promise you that. You see, the oath and vow that we, that we took are based upon not two changeable people, but one unchangeable God. That's what the vow and oath's about, guys. It's not about two people that, you, you're gonna grow together. You're gonna, you, there are areas that I, I, I'm growing differently than her in some areas, but we grow together, we change, we adapt. I can promise you six years ago, I, was not the, I am not the same man I was six years ago. But that's not the reason I took the vow and the oath. I took it knowing that there's one unchangeable God that is holding tight to those vows and oaths and knows that I will change and I will adapt, but he still expects me to keep my promises that I made, regardless of how much that I change. He says, I don't care if you've changed, for better or for worse, you better keep the promise that you made me. It's a violation of God's design to, to form one flesh beyond with anyone other than your oath-taking, vow-making husband or wife. You, you, you have relations with anyone else, church. It, it is a violation of what you promised God. and It is a violation of the Ten Commandments. Marriage, listen to me, is in, in sexuality, we're designed to be giving, but sex outside of marriage is simply taking. It uses people while you trash others. Sexuality in the confines of marriage is about giving and loving and becoming one flesh. Anything other than that is you being selfish and taking from others and treating people like garbage and kicking them to the curb. Sexuality in marriage and the marriage bond, it's selfless, it's unconditional. Everything else, you're just being self-centered, arrogant, and mean, and it's sinning. Paul said in Hebrews, let the marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. When God says do not commit adultery, he is demanding we keep marriage sacred. Now we didn't say it wasn't gonna be difficult and being a married man, I'm not gonna stand up here and say there have been hard times because it's been perfect all the time, Wink. She's been perfect all the time. I I haven't. To keep to to keep to keep me out of the doghouse on that statement there. <laughs> she has been perfect all the time. I haven't been. No, but God, he does listen. He says, you got to keep it sacred. He goes, I know there's going to be tough times. I know there's going to be hard times. You're going to come across it. You're going to fight about finances. You're going to wake up and look over and be like, what happened? That's not, that was not the honeymoon, right? She says that to me when she looks over at me and be like, what happened to you? You're aging like milk. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, honey. I try my hardest, right? Right? There's going to be tough times. There's going to be hard times. You might wake up ten years from now and you just you're tired, you're wore out. You have kids, work's getting tough. But guess what? It's a commitment for a reason. You took the oath, you took the vow. Doesn't matter how difficult it is, you stick with the person. You don't cheat on them, and you love them through better or for worse. Church. No matter what happens, that's your person, that's your wife, that's your husband. Hold them tight. Even if they are aging like milk, like I am. Love them anyway. Listen to me, church. You made the vow to them. You made the oath to God. We've got to keep the marriage sacred. The second thing is, so we know what's, be, we, we know what's behind the command. Now, beneath the command, we see God's plan is to protect his creation. It's a protection plan, guys. He, he's, not, he's, not, he's not giving us just these rigid set of rules to punish us, he's trying to protect us. Ab and Eve were created in the image of God, and this doesn't necessarily, I mean the people go back and forth on this. They, they say we may, we may look like God, we may not look like God physically, but this is how we do look like it in his image, that we possess his character. We have been created and designed to be whole, to, complete, to be complete, to be righteous, to be pure, and to live holy lives to model after God. We were creating his image. And as Adam and Eve were given to each other and had children, it was the seed of society that was planted. He said, this is your husband and this is your wife. And they developed responsibilities, accountability, traditions and trust and a social order that was was to allow mankind to live in peace and prosperity. But Satan foiled the plan as he told Eve. He said, you can be like God. And they allowed Satan to come in and he disrupted the plan. And he, dis- he, he disrupted the seed that was planted for our society because he started out by destroying the family. And he disrupted the plan when Cain's heart was filled with anger and David's eye was full of lust and Ananias and Sapphira's minds were filled with schemes. You see, these last five commands are given to protect society and deal with our relationships one with another. That's why God gave us these guys, was to protect society. And without a doubt, the health and well-being of the family determines the strength of any culture in any nation. I was reading this week, and I came across this. It says, where there is promiscuity, we find teen pregnancy and divorce. And where there's teen pregnancy and divorce, we find a direct link to juvenile crime, high school dropout rates, unemployment, poverty, and violence. All of this degrades and corrupts our society. That's what the article said. It starts with a family plan. It starts at home. You see, God's plan is to protect us. God created our society to be holy while our culture has been made, has made it fun and games. God said sexuality was intended between a man and a woman in marriage and it's supposed to be holy and sacred, but our society has says, no, nah, it's just fun and games. Do what you want, with who you want, and however you want, and have fun, but what we have found is that there is backlash physically and emotionally to our casual attitude about sex. There's backlash to it, church. There's backlash to it, and God says, I've given you a plan to protect you. Just don't commit adultery. The University of Tennessee has published a study that said, illicit sexual behavior, improper sexual activity is the greatest cause of uh, emotional disorders in women, it's the greatest cause of emotional disorders in women. And for the men, the University of Oregon completed a study that concluded that a young man who engages in premarital sexual activity make the worst marriage partners because they are unable to relate and make commitments to another person. They are out to live and satisfy themselves. Did you hear me, young men? The study of, at the University of Oregon said that you will, if, you are, if, you are, if you are engaging in premarital activities, you're gonna make the worst marriage partners because once you get married, it's not gonna be about her. So st- you're still gonna try to satisfy yourself. And I'm a guy, that's why I'm p- picking on the men right now. Don't do it, guys. Save yourself for marriage. And I know, oh, Pastor, that's counterculture. I don't care. It's the truth. No matter what the culture says, it's the truth. We've got to save ourselves from marriage and keep ourselves only to our spouse. Plain and simple. Study after study proves that premarital and extramarital activity has long-term neg- negative repercussions. You see, God gave us this to protect us, not to give us some rigid set of rules to punish us. He says, look, I'm trying to protect you. Because I know the devastation that will come if you act this way. He says, but if you follow my guidelines, you will be healthy, you will be happy, and you will be fulfilled. Everything else will just leave you empty and wanting more. It'll never fulfill you. So his plan is to protect us. God's plan is to protect his church. The church is to be the salt and the light in a dark world, an example to those who are searching for purpose, direction, and meaning in life, and we lose all credibility when we act like the world. Church. How can we come here and preach this and, and, and say amen to the pastor, then go out there and do it? You lose all credibility. The world's never going to listen to you. Well, how can you preach this and go out there and live the same way I do? Kind of goes against what you're saying, right, preacher? You see, God's plans protect the church. If we want to complete our mission, if we want to bring people to Christ, if we want to present the truth to them, guess what we have to do, church? We've got to be people of godly character and live out the truth. Out your amen. But if you want to see the churches grow, you want to see people come into Christ, we've got to be people of godly character. They see what you do far before they hear what you say. They're not going to listen to you if they see how you're acting. But if they see that you're different, that you're following God's plan, they're more apt to listen to you, church. God's plans to protect his church God's plans to protect our society and ourselves from the elements that are willing to destroy it. And so behind the command, we see that God's desire is to keep marriage sacred. Beneath the command, we see God's plan to protect his creation. And beyond the command is Jesus' practical application for life. And I need you to understand this, church. I need you to hear me. Adultery is not just a simple act. It's a matter of the heart. Did you hear me? Adultery is not just a simple act. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus speaks on the seventh commandment in his sermon on the mount and he raises the standard. He says, you have heard it said that do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's Jesus Christ talking. That's that's on his sermon on the mount. He says, yeah, don't commit adultery, but you know what? Let me add on to that, he says. He says, don't even look at her that way. He says, don't even give the second look. Don't look at her lustfully, because if you have, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He says, you've already sinned. Jesus is challenging us to a radical sexual purity because he knows that intimacy, commitment, and mutual trust are violated in the mind long before they're violated in the physical. I read a story about a young youth pastor and the story said that he took off with one of the young ladies in his, in his youth group the day after she turned 18. And they ran off together and as time went on, the youth pastor's wife divorced him. And as time prolonged, the young girl wised up and realized that she was in a bad relationship so she went home to mom and dad. And a few months after that, the youth pastor, he, he finally, he, got, he came to his senses and he says, you know what, I was wrong. And so he asked for forgiveness, and he got back back on the right path. And as some years went by, he came back to the church and he said, listen, I've done you guys wrong. And he said, I'd like to, to be able to come back and apologize to you. And the lead pastor said, absolutely. we'll we'll give you that opportunity. You're seeking forgiveness, you wanna apologize, we'll offer you that. And so the, the young pastor came back in and he says, I apologize, and he asked for the congregation's forgiveness. And an elder of the church stood up and he says, I got one question to ask you. He said, how could you do such a thing? And the young man very sadly said it was easy. Because I had done it in my head time and time and time again. You see, Jesus tells us, He said, Look, it's a matter of the heart long before it's a matter of the physical. He said, The act itself is wrong, but Jesus says, You've got to get your heart right first. You see, Jesus forbids the second look with intent to lust. And I, I get it. You could say, I'm not responsible for the first look. You know, I get it. You're scrolling through social media, something pops up, or you're walking down the street and someone else walks by. You can, you can claim ignorance for the first look, but it's that second look. It's the stare. It's the glare. It's the, it's the prolonged look that gets you in trouble. You can claim ignorance for the first look, but it's the stare and the thoughts See, we all remember Job, right? We remember the Old Testament man of sorrows. In the book of Job, he says, I have, been, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to gaze at a young woman. You see, Jesus forbids fantasizing. He forbids the mental tease that would, that would ultimately lead to an immoral act. He forbids it. He says, don't, even, don't do it. He says, because what's going to happen is it's going it's to lead you to things you shouldn't do. Jesus forbids fantasizing. That would include pornography, lewd jokes, crude jesting. And notice what he commands. Jesus recommends that that we be willing to go to the extreme to overcome any area that would lead to spiritual downfall. In Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, "If your eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell." He says, "If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out." Now, I, listen to me. I don't think that Jesus is causing us for calling us to the spiritual. You know. Mutilation. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here, but what he is saying is he says you've got to cut off bad habits. You've got to cut off things that are spiritually harmful to your life. He says if it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. You're better without it. He says if, if, if that cell phone's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If that website's causing you to sin, stop going there. If those people are causing it, stop going there. Jesus is saying if there is something in your life that is causing you to do that, stop. Cut it off from you. Don't watch that TV show. Don't visit that website. Don't hang out with those people. Lay down your phone. Don't download those apps. He says if any of these things are causing you problems, it's better you'd be better off without them than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And sadly, it seems like we don't preach about hell anymore. But church, listen to me. We keep acting out in our sin. It's a a straight road to hell. And that's forever. And I know we can't wrap our minds around what forever means. And I know what we say. Well, how can a loving God? No, church, don't even ask that. A loving God doesn't send us to hell. We choose it. You, You can't say, well, Pastor, I made a mistake. No, it's a choice. We make the choice to do these things. You make the choice to click that button. You make the choice to go there. You make the choice to do this. Stop using the word mistake. Quit trying, to, quit trying to bribe your way out of it. You've got to own it up. I made that choice. You don't accidentally break your marriage vows. Jesus is saying, if they, if, listen to me, church. Look at me, he says. If it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Because it's better that you don't have it than end up in hell because of it. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, God knows that the best way to have a fulfilling, joyful relationship is by honoring the marriage bed and keeping your vows. This is our Father speaking to us and he wants the very best for us. It's not just some rigid set of rules that he's giving us, church. He's saying, look, I want to protect you. I want to help you. I want to guide you. I want you to love me. Put me first in your marriage. And he says, you will have a fulfilled, joyful life in the, in the eternity that follows that, oh my goodness, you can't even comprehend it. He says it's worth it. Just persevere, hold on tight, for better or for worse. And so what do, what do I do if my mind is polluted with all kinds of impurities? Well, number one, church, and we're, we're coming to a close, number one is we gotta seek God. You can't chase after these things. The greatest motivation for purity is found in your desire to be with God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And Paul said it right. He said, set your hearts on things above. First and foremost, church, you gotta, you gotta seek God first. You gotta seek God first. And then you gotta pray. And when you've prayed, pray some more. Confess to God and for the ones that are in your mind. Ask for forgiveness and strength. And while you're praying, pray for those around you. Church, listen to me, it's hard to lust and it's hard to act out on things if you're speaking to the Father. Seek God and pray, and lastly, give it to God. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through five says, it is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable and, pas- and not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. He says, stay away from sexual immorality. Stay away from from what is not pure. Church, listen to me. I don't know what keeps you from God, and I don't know what your temptations are, but I do know this, that if we do not begin to flee from them, if we do not begin to resist them, then we're gonna allow the enemy to win. And when we allow the enemy to win in our lives, there's only one place we're gonna go. Listen, we've been called to be people of godly character. We've been called to live holy lives. Church, seek God and chase after the things that are pure and holy and righteous.